And what happened is I was so exhausted from like stress and depression and the crazy working hours and hospital antibiotics that I fainted and landed on my face and was like full of blood. My mom thought that I broke my nose, but I split my lip in half. It was like literally a rose. What's up, guys? It's social entrepreneur and Texas expat Eric Melcher, where you are listening to my podcast, Innovators Can Laugh. Dive into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from all over the world. Today, my guest is Yulia Igorova, a driven PR specialist and founder of Black Unicorn PR based out of London, which specializes in global PR and communications for startups. It hasn't been an easy road for Yulia, who was born in Lithuania, but moved to the UK a few years ago. In our conversation, we cover not only her personal obstacles like depression that she had to overcome, but also talk about the mistakes startups make when trying to grow their brand through PR. Without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. And to be honest, it took me a couple of months just to realize that I seriously don't care (laughs) what others will think or how they will perceive me because by the end of the day, it's my decision and it's entirely my life. And if I decide that this is the way my life should be shaped, that's it. How old were you when you got to the UK? I was 19, so fresh out of school. When I was probably 15, I knew already what I want to study. And I have never considered staying in Lithuania. That was never on cards. So I was deciding between universities in France and universities in the UK. I don't know why France. I didn't speak fluent French. That sounded <laughs> like a good challenge. But yeah, I, was, I knew, well, my mom knew, I guess, that I have to go abroad and study because obviously it gives you more opportunities and you speak English fluently and then just absolutely different life that you can get you know, if I would have stayed um, in Lithuania because I think my ego and my ambitions were, were very huge um, at the age of, of 19. So yeah, <laughs> the straight out of school, went on my own to the UK. I was studying in Bristol. And before I moved to Bristol, I've never been to the UK. I've never been to Bristol. So that was, and also it was a funny story because I had to sort out my student accommodation. But obviously I haven't been there, so I couldn't go and see what the apartments are like, who I'm going to be living with. So I had to do everything via phone and I had to transfer money to someone in 2009. And um, I remember our plane was very late i think we landed around midnight and i to be honest by that time we were not certain if when we knock on the door of those apartments (laughs) if anyone will open up it was just a scam now i think about it and i was like that was crazy Uh, (laughs) but then it was very normal it's just yeah you do that and that's it what was bristol like as a city was it fun yeah it was fun it was like very cool in terms of student life they have two universities there I was living with British girls. There were a few like shocking things to me when it came to the UK that uh, people were eating beans on toast. For me, it was something crazy or that there were like canned spaghettis or canned hot dogs. That's shocking for me too. Beans should be in a taco. Well, I'm not a huge fan of beans, (laughs) full stop. Yeah, so it was, uh, but it was really fun. It was great. And I think at the time, I was like very much free-spirited and very open to a lot of opportunities. So if, you know, I was doing pretty much anything. If it was something going on with 
first, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. If someone was organizing an event, yeah, I'll help out. There was um, an inter- I had like multiple internships at the time and I managed to study and I managed to party. And now I'm like, yeah, I could not do that again. So you mentioned the beans on toast. Do you remember any other embarrassing things or kind of quirky things uh, from your experience there? When we went out the first night to like on a night out to like a, a club, but I think it was called Oceana or something. It was one of those student nightclubs. I've never been to a nightclub before in my life in 19 years. All I was doing was studying, making sure that you get good grades and get into university. So when everyone was getting ready in their own rooms, I was like, okay, so what do you wear to a nightclub? Probably like jeans, a t-shirt, and like some trainers. Because for me, it was like a <laughs> very reasonable. Um, and then you need we... to be comfortable. We're going to be out all night. Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then when um, I met my housemates in, in the kitchen, they were wearing like short dresses and high heels and makeup and hair. And I think I have a photo somewhere which I look so out of place. I just look so out of place. It was fun. But then I got into it. Didn't eat beans on toast, but definitely wore heels and, <laughs> and dressed to a nightclub. Well, that's great. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of your housemates from back then? Yeah, one one of them is uh, still my best friend, so we Good. stayed in touch throughout. So it's been what twelve years now. Or so yeah, yeah. Wow. So right after uh, right after Bristol, right after you finished your studies, did you jump into PR? How did that come about? So I was doing PR whilst I was studying. So my primary goal in life was to be a journalist. Hence the reason I was studying journalism. I was very much into political journalism, of war journalism. I want to be a war correspondent. I want to go to Iraq, to Iran, just cover those hot war zones. And my mom thought that that will pass at some point <laughs> <laughs> because I was a huge fan of Anna Politkovskaya. So she is, she was a Russian investigative journalist who was writing a lot about Chechnya and Putin and all those things. Then she was killed on Putin's birthday. But that's that's a whole different story for a podcast. So she was my hero in a way because the books she wrote were absolutely fascinating. So when I came to the UK, that was my idea that I want to be an investigative journalism. But when I was actually invited to go to a war zone in 2010, and I called my mom, oh, this is so exciting. I was invited to, um, to go to a war zone. Which war zone? Like, no. Um, I think it was in Palestine when the conflict just started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my mom was like, no, you know, that is not happening. You have to think about alternative routes to your career. And obviously um, every war zone is bad, but that one is so unpredictable because it's not like there's a fine line where one side is on the other and the other side. No, this is anywhere, anytime, in a bus, in a hotel, in the street. Yeah. Absolutely. And when it was gone just started brewing so it was as you said extremely unexpected and me being a 19 year old quite naive at the time let's face yeah. it i don't think that wouldn't have been the wisest of decision probably we would not be having a conversation right now so that was a bit heartbreaking but then i thought okay so if i can't really do this investigative war type journalism what can i do and there were a lot of pr agencies in bristol area and they were always organizing really cool events so one of the events that actually was life-changing was organized by JBPPR, Bristol Agency, and they have invited Nick Davis. And Nick Davis is probably one of the best British investigative journalists. He is the one who uncovered the phone hacking scandal with the royal family, and I think it was in 2011. That was absolutely fascinating just to go and hear him speak, you know, because it was just so... 
what crazy. happened there with the phone hacking? Because I'm watching The Crown and yeah, they go up to 2011. <laughs> they didn't. No, not yet. Yeah, no, so no, for no. Some context, what was that all about? Journalists were tapping phones of the royal family and then leaking the news. So that was a big deal. And then they realized that it's not only the royal family that they kind of been hacking into. They were always, I think, oh. um, some of the politicians. So obviously, it's entirely unethical, regardless, you know, whether you're wow. a journalist or not. And it was related to Rupert Murdoch. And then there was a trial. And oh, it was just absolutely fascinating. And Nick Davis was on his way of trying to figure that all out. So I've met him just before it broke. And he wrote his books and then he became like a super mega star. And the thing is, we were having dinner with him because I was on a National Union of Journalists as a student. So I wasn't ready to have dinner with the journalists. And I was sitting in front of him and I was like, oh, my mom is not letting me go to a war zone. <laughs> can you believe that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine it? And she was like, yeah, quite reasonable. So I asked him, what would you recommend doing if I can't do this particular investigative journalism? Because I was not into Vogue and, I don't know, whatever fashion, beauty stuff. And he was like, oh, why don't you try public relations? And I was like, okay, watch Sex in the City. That sounds fun. Yeah. Samantha. And, think, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was Samantha. <laughs> so she, she didn't seem to do much, but she seemed to be earning a lot and just doing cool stuff and mingling with loads of people. So I said, I'll definitely, I'll try that out. And what I did is I literally started stalking <laughs> the lady who organized the event with Nick Davis because she was a part of that PR agency. I was writing her emails every day saying, um, hi, Sarah. If Sarah is listening to this, she, she will appreciate that. I was like, <laughs> um, can I please have an internship with you guys? Can I please have an internship? Please, please really want to try myself and just see how it goes. And I think a couple of months in, <laughs> after literally harassment, she just gave in. And <laughs> I came to the office and I said, I want to do everything, just show me how it's done. And I started working for them. It was an internship. And then they also gave me a chance to go to London to work with their parliamentary affairs uh, team. So I went to London and it was really fascinating because I spent there a week and it was also one of the first times when I went to London. So I couldn't really figure out tubes. And just generally, if you give me a map, I will not, I will just not know where to go. <laughs> so I couldn't figure out how to get from one station to another station. So I was literally making laps, you know, just to get from A to B. But I was always at work, like first thing at seven in the morning when the office was closed. I would just stay sitting, waiting, writing some stuff up just because, you know, I was so eager to, to get um, and, and do things. So now that you're that exposed fun. to PR and you're seeing what, what they do, obviously this started to interest you. Where did you go from there? Yeah, so I was deciding what to do after that. So after I finished my studies, like my bachelor's degree, it was quite reasonable that after your bachelor's, you should get your master's degree because that's what you do. You get your master's degree, then probably you get your PhD, then you find a husband, then you get married, then you have children. That's the end. What I've decided is that I wanted to do my master's, but I didn't want to do my master's in the UK. So I found master's in science of persuasive communication in Netherlands, in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, JJ lands a role with Tom. So you're at Tom. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and studying, yep. Yeah. What was your main role there? What were you uh, doing there? So I've started as an executive 
in a very small team. So even though like TomTom was and still is quite huge, they had, I think, five to six people that were dealing with public relations, meaning that I had access to VP of marketing right away. I was helping with press releases. I was helping to look after events. I was helping to organize a variety of events, press trips, pretty much you name it. And it was absolutely fascinating because that is exactly what kind of corporate PR is yeah. <laughs> and, and what they get at the time. So that set me in terms of what I want to do. And when it actually came to my um, studies in, in university, I've decided that I just can't move forward with it because at the time I became extremely depressed. So we're talking about the fact that I just did not want to leave my bed because I was, I just could not find the motivation to go to uni and do something that I don't see that brings me value. And what I've realized for myself is that I just really tried to fit in the pattern, what was expected of me, as I thought by society, that you go to university, that you do another degree, that yeah. you, know, you get a well-paid job. So it feels like there's always a certain path that you have to follow. And for me, initially, I thought, okay, so if I do not finish my master's degree, what does that mean? You know, what will people think of me? Because I was always um, extremely successful when it comes to universities, to my degrees, I was always the leader. And I thought, oh, will my image be shattered or will people think that I was not smart enough? And to be honest, it took me a couple of months just to realize that I seriously don't care <laughs> what others will think yeah. or how they will perceive me. Because by the end of the day, it's my decision and it's entirely my life. And if I decide that this is the way my life should be shaped, that's it. I have to tell you, JJ, when I was on blackunicorn.com and I was looking at your portfolio and clients and some of the work you did, it didn't even occur to me that, that I should have been looking like for your university <laughs> diploma. It just, it just never comes No one comes has up. ever asked me for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So you're at Tom. You're getting mm -hmm. some good exposure to PR, some really good experience. And then what sparked your interest into maybe starting your own company one day? So I never had, I'm not one of those entrepreneurs who said, oh, from a very young age, I definitely wanted to have my own business. It was never the case. I, to be honest, I always was very much into working in a big corporate company because I could learn from people. Because after TomTom, Tom, I left back to the UK because at the time, Amsterdam and Netherlands seemed a little bit too green and too rainy. <laughs> more so <laughs> than uh, the UK? It, you know what? It is raining more in Amsterdam than it is raining in London. Wow. That's a fact. I live there. I know. That's a fact. It was, what am I going to be doing? What, what, what exactly I want to pursue in my life? I started working at a marketing agency, doing both marketing and PR and events. And um, I was working for Visa doing Sochi Olympics. So I had a chance once in a lifetime opportunity actually going to Russia live during Sochi Olympics uh, during the Olympics and Paralympics for I think it was three months and it was absolutely crazy it's another also it's like another episode of podcast probably <laughs> uh, because I've never been to Russia before so obviously I have Russian roots but I've never been to Russia and for Russians I am not Russian and for Lithuanians I'm not Lithuanian so I don't really, and for British people, I'm not, I'm just some sort of weirdo. So I don't really fit in <laughs> anywhere. You're like an which American. Is, which, is, kind of, which is like, which is fun. But yeah. So it was really fascinating to live in Sochi during the Olympic Games. 
marketer just to see how everything goes. But then I've realized that it's more on a marketing and event side, which I did not like as much. So I said, I'm going back to, to PR. Okay, so while in Russia, I'm assuming yeah. that you could speak Russian or is that? Yeah, I speak fluent Russian. Yeah, that's my first language. Okay, Lithuania, are there two different languages? Absolutely different. But most Lithuanians speak Russian. They used to. I think nowadays you does not speak Russian as much. But I think if you are around 30, you would probably be able to have a conversation in Russian. Yeah. So growing up, were they speaking Russian in schools? Like, how did you learn both languages? I went to a Russian school. But we had to study Lithuanian from pretty much the first grade. So that was... That was not an option. And because my mom figured out that I have a thing for languages, I always had tutors for Lithuania and for English since I was probably four. So hence the reason I spoke all three languages fluently by the time I was 18. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. So you said you weren't really expiring from a young age to be an entrepreneur. You, know, you weren't one of those people, but mm-hmm. something did spark your interest to go out on your own. It did, yeah. Yeah. So when I was working in one of the fastest growing startups at the time and I was heading PR, it was extremely crazy. So I could stay in the office until like early hours in the morning. Sometimes I would be picking up phones at 11 o'clock saying, hi, hello, Julia speaking. And my CEO would say like, why are you still in the office? But there was just so many things. When you work in a startup, if you're like heading PR, you're doing like all the other things, communications and marketing and events, and it's just crazy. And I'm an extremely dedicated person. So if I'm doing something, I'm just giving all myself. But then my grandma started having problems and health issues. Because I'm the only child and my mom raised me on her own, I'm the biggest support that my mother has. So what I was doing, I was flying from the UK to Lithuania every Friday evening and coming back every, fr- uh, every Monday morning around like six in the morning. And right away from the airport, I was going to the office. And it was heartbreaking just because my mom needed a break at least during those couple of days when I was there. So I could stay with my grandma in the hospital. And it was just like leaving your family and not knowing if the next time when I come back, if I'm going to a funeral or if my grandma is going to be better. So that was very, very sad. And then on the first day, so the day before I was meant to fly out, my mom calls me and says, oh, grandma has passed away. And for me, it was just, it was absolutely crazy because it was very close to my grandmother. And for me, the fact that I was not there when my family needed me simply because I had work to do and work commitments that I was committed to someone other than my family who should always take a priority. So what I did was around like four o'clock in the evening UK time. I had my bag, I had my laptop and I went straight to the airport. I didn't go home. I didn't pack my bag. I literally, the first thing I did is I just flew back home. And what was shocking is that my grandma um, passed away on Thursday. The funeral was on Saturday or Sunday. I was upset. I was uh, expected to come back to work on Monday. And I was after, like, after explaining to them that you've had your grandma passed away and you're going to a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. I'm off or nothing there. no it was very much expected that i will be back right away so what i said guys seriously i can't do that so i had to, I literally i found a psychiatrist who wrote me a note saying that julia was a little bit too distressed to to come um, back to the office for a week and that was the moment when i 
realize that the most important thing that we have is time. It's time with our family, the time with clients that you have. So if you are with someone, do like you and I having a conversation right now, we are fully immersed in each other because we're having conversations. Same goes to your family, right? When you're having dinners, you're not going to be looking at your phone because you just, especially life is also so precious and your family is. And that was for me, if I can't afford going and seeing my family whenever I feel like I want to go and see my family or someone is having an accident or they need me simply because someone tells me like, oh no, you have to write this press release. So for me, it was a bit of a weird moment. So what I did is I said, I'm leaving. And we I can't say that we left on good terms. I have a feeling that we, we still don't speak to the C-level executives. And that's a huge shame because it was nothing personal. And I went um, to Bali. Literally, I think I read too much of Eat, Pray, Love and watched <laughs> movies. So I went to Bali for a couple of months. I took my mom with me because also for her, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. So I think we just needed a bit of a break. And we were trying to find ourselves, if I may, traveling, experiencing things together, doing a lot of things together. And I've realized that maybe once I come back to the UK after my sabbatical, I might just try growing and working for a couple of agencies. And an opportunity came of a person that I knew that he said, I'm really looking for someone who can help me to scale my business in PR. I'm looking for someone who is very business savvy and goes out and speaks and does things. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. So I started working at an agency. But because I was working at agency only a couple of days, that was not necessarily covering the expenses <laughs> that I had, you know, <laughs> when living in London. Right. So what I did, I started working with a couple of more agencies. And just because my kind of 10 years prior to that was very much in-house focused, I've realized that there was now there was no match between what the agencies are doing and what I'm used to be doing. So because when you work in an agency, you get a retainer, right? And then your main objective is to get media placements, which is the objective of any PR agency. But I knew when I was working in the startup, when I was working in TomTom, when I was working with Visa, that you, know, you talk about thought leadership. The way you walk, the way you talk, the way you dress is very much shaped by PR professionals most of the times. And like the events, the speaking opportunities, and like all of those things that you do that kind of shape you in the public perception, that is part of PR. And I thought, okay, so there is a gap in the market, right? So I want... If I'm doing something, I want people to feel that they can call me in the middle of the night if they're having a problem and we'll have a conversation. I'm going to be there for them instead of them calling me in the middle of the night. And I was like, okay, so I'll charge you like a couple of hundred quid just for this conversation. So it was literally a frustration because I realized that what I have to offer is relatively unique and I just want to pursue that. And I want to have my time. Fantastic. That, that is such a good story. So a little bit about what you do in your experience. I noticed that you focus on startups. What are, what's a bad recommendation that maybe you hear that you've heard in your profession about startups or even smaller mid-sized company that's looking to do PR? Like what is something yeah. that, that you hear that, no, they shouldn't do that, or that's actually waste of money that's really a bad recommendation i think with startups early stage startups what i see quite frequently um, especially in eastern europe is that they're using newswires they write a press release then they just pay i don't know like 500 quid someone and then it gets reprinted and sometimes it can appear on yahoo finance or in forbes or bloomberg whatever but it will 
it will be clearly labeled that it is a newswire. And obviously, if you are looking to target your uh, peers or sophisticated investors, they will realize that it's not actually a journalistic piece of work. I do think that startups tend not to understand or underestimate the influence you know the public relations can have on a business and what we see a lot of times is that you know, some people are coming to us saying oh we want to go out with the press release tomorrow when we try to explain them that it takes four to six weeks to prepare for things to think things through yeah so a lot <laughs> of them are doing that just right away but news wires are, are evil that sounds like one of the worst things a company can do for a pr stunt Let's do a press release, but they're clearly not ready. <laughs> somebody yeah. wants to follow up on that or has a question for the, the CEO or something. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, I think when it comes to, let's say, any sort of media outreach, what we do is we just try to understand the client inside out. When we produce a press release or where we start media relations, that we don't need to ask them every single time, so what do you think? So we try to be in the founder's shoes to be able to represent them to, to our best abilities. Okay, what, what would you recommend that a startup do if they only had, let's say they only had 10,000 pounds or dollars yeah. and they're trying to think, should we put this toward PR or should we put this toward media? What, what would you recommend for that startup? I think it's extremely important to understand first and foremost, what exactly are you after? So with public relations, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. So it's a long-term investment in relationships with the media. So if you're looking for, let's say, easy wins, probably marketing and those Facebook social media campaigns would be the right fit. If you're looking to establish yourself as a brand and kind of work on your reputation, then obviously PR. Does everyone need a PR agency? I'm going to be shooting myself in the foot saying, no, not everyone needs a PR agency. Literally <laughs> lost half of the business probably. But there's certain things that startups, especially that are extremely bootstrapped, can do themselves prior let's say, to getting someone either in-house or an agency. Um, media relations key when it comes to, to, to journalists. Being on Twitter is an absolute necessity. And a lot of people think, oh, if I'm on Twitter, I have to tweet 75 times per day and I have not much to say. But in reality, you know, you're just following journalists, you're just seeing what they're writing about. And a lot of times journalists are interested in personal stories, right? So as you know, no one is interested in a business that just started because they want to be rich and famous. Everyone wants to understand what was the struggle? Why are you doing what you're doing? So um, building those relationships on social media and just pitching some of the ideas is possible if you have time. Having said that, PR is ridiculously time-consuming, right? So you have to always be able to think, I don't know, five steps ahead, saying, okay, if I'm sending this email, what will happen and what will be the outcomes and that, what will that mean for a company? And you have a variety of options to do that. But definitely invest in, in, in your time, okay. best investment. And Yulia, what would be, or what's been one of your proudest moments since you've launched uh, Black Unicorn? Oh, that's a good question. I think one of the proudest moments when someone um, saw me on the street and said, oh, I know what you do. I'm, I'm following your story. It was a bit creepy. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, we're following pretty much what you guys are doing. Because what here at Grumpia we try to do, we, of course, we don't see our clients are just people that are paying money and we pay our bills. It's a part of a family. It's a part of our network. And the other thing that we try to do is we try to educate people on public relations. So as you said, if someone doesn't have 
enough resources to hire a PR agency, that is fine. You can go on our website, we have a blog, and we'll tell you pretty much the mistakes that people are making and how you can do things. So being recognized, not necessarily on streets, but also within um, the industry, by investors, by other startups. And when someone says, oh, I've heard about Black Unicorn PR and I know the work that you're doing, it's, uh, it does not feel real most of the times. <laughs> okay, good answer there. What would be your advice for aspiring PR professionals? Oh, grow a thick skin <laughs> and don't take things personally. For me, it took quite a few years, almost a decade, not to be able you know, to take things personally because we work with people. So what we need to do is to be able to adapt to a variety of different personalities on a day-to-day basis. And some people are going to be having a bad day just because they're having a bad day, not because they hate you and want to make you miserable. But it is your job just to make sure that you kind of smooth those corners and that there's no conflict. Um, not taking things personally, because I think as a PR professionalist, if you do everything that is in your power, like literally absolutely everything that you can, then if something doesn't work out, of course, it's not no one's fault, but at least that you did your best and you can't say and think, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that. Yeah. So fix skin, be patient. Don't take things personally. And stress is a part of the job. It's not going to be going anywhere. Depression, anxiety, panic attacks, psychiatry. You're not even in a war zone. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I don't know what would have happened because I'm suffering from depression, anxiety, and panic attacks since Amsterdam times, funny enough. But I've learned how to live with my demons. And sometimes it's, sometimes I'm having bad days. Sometimes I'm having good days. But stress, of course, you can fuel certain things. Well, when you feel overwhelmed and, and you feel like you have a lot of stress, what do you do? I just take five minutes. I just take five minutes off my computer, off my phones, and just try to spend like those couple of minutes by myself, ideally somewhere in a dark room. Because also, I think when you are suffering from like anxiety, depression, and all those crazy things that can happen, is that yeah, you feel overwhelmed because you just don't know exactly you know what to do and you try to like you start panicking but if you take your like couple of minutes and try to remove yourself from the situation that started that it really helps and also i know that for example what the way i am with with all the crazy things that's happening in my life that is the way i am and this is who i am so i've learned how to live with that and you know how to manage my stress so it never affects let's say my work sometimes it can affect my personal relationships but then a lot of my friends are just very much used to knowing that if I need some time off them, that's going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> okay. Yulia, where can people learn more about you? Where can they uh, find out more about your business? On our website. So www.blackunicornpr.com. And I am on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not on TikTok. I'm too old for that. <laughs> me but, too. Uh, yeah, I just don't get it. People can always just get in touch with me if they if it's an aspiring PR professional or someone just needs professional PR advice. I am always up for coffee chats, well, virtual coffee chats in our case. Fantastic. Thanks, Yulia. And for those of you listening, I will be back next week with another amazing guest here on Innovators Collab.
To see the show notes for every show, as well as get a preview of who our next guest will be, sign up for our newsletter at innovatorscollab.substack.com.